Good morning and Happy New Year. What a better way to start the new year than to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I'm excited. I'm excited for what this New Year's brings. How many of you made resolutions? A few. A few, not a lot. But I'm going to try to make a resolution that the New Life Church becomes a beacon of light even brighter than it has been in this next year. It's been a bright light in this community and a big help. But I pray that we that God finds a way and uses us in a greater service even than what we can imagine. And uh, as we get ready this morning for the lesson, we're going to talk about the crowning of the king. We're going to talk about the story of Herod and the Magi. But before we do, let's prepare our minds and our hearts for the word of God this morning as we go to him in prayer. It'll be a silent one at first for you to say yours, and then I'll close this out. Father, we're thankful that you're here with us, <clears throat> that your presence is with us in this beginning of 2017, this new year. And Father, as we do, we, we set our face and our heart towards thee and we put your purpose in our heart. And Father, we pray that we will this year be challenged and ready for the things that we study in your word. And we pray that we will take those things and apply them to our life and learn from them in a most magnificent way and allow you to be the Lord of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the crowning of the king. If you brought your swords with you this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be in only two books this morning. We'll be in Matthew chapter 2, and then we're going to look a little bit at the book of Daniel. So if you want to pre-plan and, and kind of have... Uh, a thumb there later on or something, but that'll be the two places that we go to, Matthew chapter 2 and then the book of Daniel. Last week was Christmas, and for Christmas we saw the birth of the king. We saw the real Christmas story, how that God gift-wrapped his son in a special way for us. He was gift-wrapped in the shadow of the cross because of who and what we are and that we need him. And we saw... Many wonderful things that he was going to be rejected, but there were those who were told. The angels came and presented themselves before him, and then the shepherds came and worshipped him and then spread the news all abroad. So that was the beginning of the Jesus story. We're going to continue that until Easter. And this week we're going to look at the crowning of the king, Herod and the Magi, the story that's in Matthew chapter 2. And I don't know, a lot of times people don't teach a lot in this certain area except a little bit about the Magi, but I want to go into some of the history. I want us to understand this morning what was going on in the background and why things reacted and were done the, the way that they were. Because this is the first year of Jesus' life. He is now probably towards a year old or so, and he's going to be anointed and crowned king by a group of people called the wise men. 
So in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we read, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born, the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled. And I don't like this part. And so was all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them, where was the Christ to be born? They said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor, and that shall rule my people, Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently at what time they had, the star had appeared. And he sent them then to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they had saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, Take the young child and his mother and flee, go into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and they departed into Egypt. And they were there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise man, he was exceedingly wroth. And he sent forth, and he slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, every one from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Jesus the Christ was born during the reign, it says, of King Herod. Herod's mentioned several times in the Bible, so I thought that it was fit that we learn a little bit about this man so that we understand what's going on in this exchange between him, the priest, and the scribes, and the magi, and then what happens when he cannot find the Christ child. He was the greatest non-Roman of the Roman Empire in his day. He was an Edomite, so that makes him under Esau's group. So he was, from the, he was called an Edomian, and that was east of Jerusalem. He reigned for 39 years, and his official title was, now get this, 
the king of the Jews. That was his official title. He died just before he turned 70 years of age. Herod was a financial genius. He had accumulated during his lifetime five or six fortunes greater than, say, $50 million at that time. He would lose some. He would gain some. But he always had a good amount. He was a financial wizard on what he did. He was a great architect. It is said that he built more buildings and architected more than about anyone ever in the Roman Empire. They say that he put up 45 buildings, one of which was the remodeling of the temple, and that's why it was later called Herod's Temple. Herod was a great athlete. For those of you who are hunters, you would like to know this. At, at age 65, he was still the best shot with his bow than anyone in the entire area. He was athletic. He was a wrestler. He was very handsome, historians say. And he was a great politician. He was a renowned military man. He ruled for many years in the Roman Empire under Octavius. He went on to be known as Caesar Augustus. Herod was second in command under him. Only Agrippa stood between him and Caesar. They were all close friends for over 30 years. The Olympic Games by this time had become defunct. They had fell out of being done. And so he decided, in order to give praise unto the Caesar, to reinstall these games. And for the first two Olympic Games that was re-participated uh, in, he spent his own money to prepare everything and to put them on in honor of Caesar Augustus. One time, during a great drought of the area, he personally used his fortune and spent, they approximate, around a couple of million dollars on grain from Egypt to feed the Jewish people that he was over. So Herod had some things going for him. But... The Jews never liked him, and as you can see throughout the scriptures, they're always trying to get him in trouble back with Rome. They don't like to have anyone over him, and since that's them, and since that's him, that he was always the focal point of everything that they wanted to do. One time, the Jewish high priest had held a dinner, and the father of Herod was poisoned and died. Another time, Somebody pushed him off a cliff, and then they said, oh, he jumped and committed suicide. So you can see that that would spark an intense hatred starting to now be the rift between Herod and these people. And not that Herod was always totally good, because Herod had a mean streak. Herod was a diabolical man as well. History tells us that he had murdered several people he built a great army his outpost was the one that protected rome from the parthian nations over to the east he stood in the gap between them so he had a great military mind he put 10 fortifications on the 10 tallest hills all around his region so that he could create a signal corps and that signal corps would if they saw somebody coming into the land like the Magi or like the Caesar, they would immediately start flagging each other. And within a short period of time, 
that message got to Herod way before anybody did, and they could keep track of everything that happened. His was the only signal corps that actually worked in the day at that time. Keep that in mind when you think about the Magi coming in here in a little bit. Speaking of his dark side, he had all kind of atrocities. He had ten wives, twelve children, and his favorite wife, he murdered her. And then he murdered her brother. And then it's said that he murdered the mother of the two because she was bugging him about it. That's Herod. Now, if you want a real picture of, of Herod and who he was, at the time that Jesus was born, he was close to death at that time. Within a year or so, he dies from the birth of Jesus. So in that last year, this will give you a picture of how diabolical he was. He had the military to go out and capture several of the prominent and well-liked Jewish people of the community trump them up on some bad charges and held them captive and he said on the day that I die I want them executed the military man underneath him says will do but may I ask why what is this for and he said because when I die nobody will mourn me and I am determined that when I die there will be mourning in this city so you slay them the second that I die that is Herod the Great. But he made four fortifications out of those ten that was right around his Jerusalem area. Kept very close track of anything that came by. But that was also in the center of a little town that's called Bethlehem. That those four forts were around as well. So when the Magi came to seek and to worship the king who had been born, of whose star they had seen... The signal corps had already started tracking them and knew that they were on the way in and they were put on high alert to watch every move they make. And since we have now introduced Herod to you, let's talk about these magi, the guys who came in from the east. Who exactly were they? Well, they're members of a tribe, actually, a priestly tribe, and it's a tribe from ancient of days. They were Chaldeans. Uh, that can be traced back all the way in the Bible to uh, Genesis chapter 12. For in there it says that Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. That's where the Chaldeans were from. That's where Abraham was from. That's where these men originated as well. They are very, very ancient people. We find them mentioned as a part of the Babylonian Empire. We're going to see that in a moment when we go to Daniel. And they were still in existence 600 years later when they came to crown the king. Verse 1 of our text there in Matthew says that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men. That word for wise men is magos, magi in the plural, and that's where we get magi. And if you... It's not a translation, but it's a transliteration. In other words, just brought over and not told what it means. Because it was this tribe, but later on, this word morphed into what we call magicians. That's where you get the term magicians from, is from these wise men. The word for them, the magi. But they are a tribe. They were skilled in astronomy, 
astrology, mathematics, and medicine, among many other things. I mean, these were like your top scholars of everything. They were a group of men who had all of these special talents. They rose to prominence together, and they schooled and taught each other. And they rose to prominence in the king's courts as advisors, being called wise men. But then they became very powerful and had very much clout, as we're going to see as we go along. During this time, they were in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had taken the Jewish people hostage. Among those was a lot of the top young people who were kind of in the blood of royalty. One of those was a young man named Daniel, a Hebrew that was taken there. He was elevated also by God into a place of prominence in the king's court as well. And Daniel became familiar with the Magi, and the Magi became familiar with Daniel. You see, they were also a priestly tribe, and here is this group of people that worship a god, and they worship a god, only their god is a pagan god, centered around fire, and they had an altar that continually burned with fire. But it was interesting to them, so they hit it off, and they kind of talked. They were very influential and powerful, all the way through from Babylon to the Medo-Persians to the Grecian Empire, and then to the Roman Empire of where we're at now. As far as Scripture is concerned, the first place we see him is Daniel chapter 1. So if you turn there with me, Daniel 1. We're going to get a little bit of the history of these magi to see how God controls what goes on in this world. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, it says, As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. Daniel also had understanding in all the visions and dreams. So Daniel had the wisdom and knowledge like the four, but he also had the gift of dreams as well and visions. So what would happen is, is these folks that were brought in were schooled for a while. And then the sharpest of the sharp were brought before the king and questioned in these laws of the, of the Magi to see if they were as sharp as them. And it says the king commanded them, and none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found these four to be ten times better than any of their Magi astrologers that were in all of his realm so Daniel and those other three that are better known to us as Shadrach Meshach and Abednego had superior knowledge and wisdom 10 times sharper than any of the magi were and that captivated the magi as well they wanted to speak with these people and he said God had a plan for Daniel and these men to be captured and taken out of their homeland and placed here. And you say, why? Why did God do that to a righteous man and take him from his country and from his family and from everything he had and put him over here in a foreign land? It's because there's going to come a day, 600 years from now, 
when a little baby is going to be born. And that little baby is going to need to be crowned by the kingmakers. And so God had been planning history for these 600 years. Daniel chapter 2, if we turn the page, it says in verse 10, Nebuchadnezzar's had a dream, and he brings in the Magi, the Chaldeans, the sorcerers, the astronomers, and he says, I need the interpretation of my dream. And they say, tell us what it is, and we'll tell you. And he said, no, I know your tricks. He said, you will invent something to pass time. If you can tell me what I dreamed, then I will believe your interpretation of the dream. And in verse 10, the Chaldeans answered back to the king, and they said, There is not a man on earth that can reveal the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king or no lord or no ruler who has ever asked such a thing of any of the magi, of any of the astronomers or the Chaldeans ever before. So here we have the Magi again before the king. They're in the king's court telling them, and they are renowned. And they said, nobody can do this. Well, wait a minute. Enter Daniel. Daniel comes into the picture, and he is able by the revelation of God to do this. And we're on a, on a progression here because I want to show you how Daniel is going to be so influential to these Magi. Turn to chapter 4. Daniel interpreted, not only told the king what his dream was, but interpreted it, and it was true. So then we find by the time of Daniel chapter 4, he's had another dream. His tree is being cut down, and he wants to understand what this dream means. And he's, he, they're brought in again, the Magi, and it says, Bring in all the wise men. Here's the guys who's going to end up, their lineage showing up at the birth of Jesus. Bring all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. And then came in the Magi, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. And they were told the dream, but they could not provide an interpretation of it. Verse 8, but at last Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar according to the name of my God. This is Nebuchadnezzar talking and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods? And before him I told the dream. And he said in verse 9, O Belteshazzar, catch his title now, by chapter 4, master of the magi, master of the wise man. So God has now placed this young man Daniel over, and he's become the master of the magi. Wow. That's that's so important. Next chapter. This will be the last reference. Chapter 5, verse 11. Now we go to Nebuchadnezzar's son. He's kind of retired from ruling. Belshazzar has taken over. He decides that he's going to hold a giant party while his fortress is being surrounded by the enemy. He thinks that they can't be conquered. And he throws this enormous party. And what he does he, he becomes to get drunk, and he says, let's take all of the Hebrew trophies that we took out of their temple, all of those things that they used to have, their golden bowls and saucers and, and different things, and let's take these and bring them in here today into our worship and use them to worship our gods of stone and wood. And he disgraced the things of God. 
And then while he was in that stupor, a hand appeared and began writing on the wall. And that hand wrote, Mene, Mene, Tikel, Upharsin. And his knees started shaking together. And he said, bring in the magi, bring in all of the wise men. I need to know the interpretation of those words that are upon the wall. And they couldn't do it. And then Belshazzar's mother, the queen, says, beginning in verse 11 of Daniel 5, There is a man in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. And that's Daniel. And she continues, that whom the king, Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father, he made him master of the Magi. Isn't it interesting how God had a plan for Daniel and moved him up into a place of prominence for such a time as this? He's in such a unique position to school the Magi as their master on the knowledge of the Word of God, the Old Testament, the knowledge of the true and living God and the one who is going to have a son born 600 years from now. And he taught them what to look for when this king was going to arrive. God was planning history all that time. So by God's divine plan, the Magi learned everything that they could about this God of heaven and his son that would be born. They kept their place of prominence by God throughout all of the different empires of the world that would come so that they could show up at the birth of Jesus Christ and crown him king. Now, by the time that the Magi were so powerful at this time, the historians tell us certain things about them. They had a nickname. They were called the Kingmakers. The Kingmakers. Everybody knew this. The Magi were the Kingmakers. No king in the Persian realm ever became a king unless two things were known about them. They would interrogate and interview and they had to master everything underneath of them and be in alignment with what the Magi had as their code of conduct and knowledge. And you know what that code was? You see it in the scriptures in two different places, and it's called the Law of the Medes and the Persians. In Esther one nineteen, and in Daniel chapter 6, this is what's taught. Now in Esther one thirteen, it also says that the entire court of judges was made up of these wise men so they were the king makers and they were the judges of the land they controlled everything and weighed that much power so they were known far and wide as the king makers and 600 years before that they were schooled by a man named daniel to preside over them and that brings us back to matthew chapter 2 if you want to turn back there with me Time's gone on century after century until Jesus is born and somehow God has maintained this prominence of the Magi through four different kingdoms. In Matthew chapter 2, it says in verse 2, They came to Herod and said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. 
And when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled. And that's the word that we had a few weeks ago with Zechariah in the temple when it says things that are supposed to remain still start moving. That's what was happening to Herod now. He was shaken in places that he shouldn't have been. When he heard that the kingmakers have now arrived in Jerusalem, his cage got rattled real quick. You see that at the time of Christ, history bears out that they had deported their king as well, and they were actually looking for a physical king. But So he was expecting them looking around, but when they come into Jerusalem and said, something a little different where is he that is born king of the jews that rattled his cage he thought they were looking for a king in persia why was he rattled remember what his title was king of the jews so there is someone now born king of the jews and that's why he's upset that's why we wanted to bring out the history you remember how that he murdered three of his sons because he thought that they would seek his throne, let alone his wife that was his favorite wife. This guy was so suspicious and jealous of everybody, he immediately plotted to murder them. And that's why you see at the end that all the babies are murdered. But he doesn't let on what he wants to happen. So when they came in, he got panicked. That was his title. And he immediately brought in the scribes and the Pharisees, the guys of the Jewish tradition who knew things. And he said, tell me, where is this king going to be born? Well, they were happy to answer him. They popped off and said, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. He says, we can even quote you chapter and verse. That's Micah 5 verse 2. Because you know how it is with folks who who like to tell about the scriptures, man, you're ready to give that answer and to show that you know what it is. So he led them right into the trap. Okay, where is he that is born king of the Jews to be born in Bethlehem? So now, he doesn't want anyone to know about his evil plot to kill that baby. So it says he privately brings the Magi back in. Look closely down there at verse 7. He privately called in the wise man. He inquired of them diligently, what time the star appeared? What time? You see, now Herod is a cunning man himself. He didn't get to be where he's at for nothing. And he is playing off of the pride of these wise men. For you see, he starts talking to them about astronomy and astrology, the things that they're knowledgeable about. He doesn't tell them, I want to kill this king. He says, tell me privately, where... What did you see? Where was it? I have always wanted to learn about astrology. I've always wanted to, to know about this stuff. Help me out. What did you see? At what time was it? All the while he was plotting what age the baby was at, where he was going to be, etc. Herod is like a lot of folks. He likes to use people. He likes to pretend and say that, oh, I'm interested in what you're doing. Tell me about all of this stuff. But underneath, he's just playing you and using it for his own ambitions and desires. That's the way a lot of folks act in this world, and we have to be knowledgeable of that. He plays the wise man and then gives them his blessing. Go, find him, diligently seek for him. And then when you do, 
tell me where he is. Come back because I want to go and worship him too. Yeah, right. Another bold-faced lie. You want to go so that you can murder the Son of God. Now, this was a big procession. People will try to say in all of the stories that there were three wise men. We don't know how many there were. You can search the scripture, and it doesn't tell you the number. History bears out that there was usually 12 or so. So we don't know how many of them came. It could have been as three, four, or it could have been as many as all 12. And they usually came with a small cavalry of warriors so that nothing happened to them while they were out. So this was not a small procession that could sneak around. And remember, when we talked about the history of this, Herod had four fortifications. They were on high alert. Watch where they go so I know where the baby's at. They got a cloak of invisibility. They arrived to where the Lord Jesus was without being Saul. And then it says that when they arrived, that they anointed him the king. The kingmakers have came and they anointed him king. It says that they give him gifts out of their treasures, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And he was anointed king. And then God warned them in a dream, don't go back to Herod and don't go that way, but leave a different way. And again, he provided them safety out. And then he told Joseph in a dream, Herod seeks the young boy's life. Take him down to Egypt. Hide out until he is gone from you. So, Herod sees that he was tricked. That what he hoped for and had schemed for didn't happen. So now he became very angry. And that's when he made his decree that all the children in the entire area, two years old and under, see, that's why he wanted to know when the star, when you saw it. It gives me a gauge of going a little bit over and above and coming all the way down and capturing this one. Murder them. And folks, that's the spiritual battle that we initiated last week about the seed of the woman and how that the dark side, Satan and his angels were trying to demolish the seed of woman because if the Christ child comes... And if he makes it to the cross, our salvation is sealed, but also their damnation is sealed. So that was this spiritual battle that's still waging with us today. And like it or not, you and I are a part of it. So as the band makes their way forward, we'll close by saying that Jesus Christ was born on this wise, with wise men seeking him. I hope that after all of this, we understand a little bit about the background of what was going on, about Herod and his intricacies, and about the Magi and their history, and about Daniel. But the main thing is, is how God controlled everything. From 600 years ago, he controlled everything going forward. And these men sought for Jesus, and they found him, and they worshiped him, crowned him king, and he became their Lord. And I promise you in the same way that wise men and women still seek him today. And that if you will seek, if you will listen to the word of God, you will find him just like they did. You will be able to worship him. And if you allow it, he'll become Lord of your life. And just like he led them for 600 years,
he will also lead you in your walk of life in this spiritual battle that we face together. Let's sing. Yeah. 